Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us at church today. We're so happy that you're here. I'm so glad to see all of your, your faces. And um, if you're joining us from a different place, uh, if you're joining us at home in Portland and you're watching online, if you're in Arizona, if you're in Alaska, we're so honored that you spend this time with us as we, uh, as we come together as a community of faith, as a family of God, kind of in different places. Um, I'm so glad to, to, to spend this time with you guys today. Um, so today's message is going to be different than kind of what I usually do. Uh, for one, this message is going to be much shorter than the last two. The last two were crazy long, so <laughs> I was like, man, I got to cut it down. It's getting a little bit, a little bit too much. Um, but, um, you know, I don't know if you guys have ever wondered, like, how does Chris come up with the messages? I don't know. Probably never, you've never even really thought about that. But maybe some other pastor... Uh, or a speaker, you're like, you know, I wonder how he comes up with what he actually talks about. Because, you know, it's like there's not a lot of jobs in this world where every week you have to come up with, like, new content and a new, like, presentation. Right? Like, you guys have watched, like, TED Talks and TEDx's and stuff like that. And you watch those things and you're like, wow, these, these are really good. But do you guys realize that they do one talk over and over and over and over again? Like, I don't get to do that. I can't do one talk over and over and over again. I get fired. Uh, so... I have to come up with new content, new messages every single week. And, you know, it can get kind of tough. Anyway, I wonder if you've ever wondered, how does Chris, like, figure out what to talk about? So let me tell you real quick. Um, sometimes uh, I'm reading the Bible, I'm reading a book, and something really speaks to me. I'm like, oh, this is what we got to talk about. Sometimes there's something going on in the church that I'm like, oh, this is something we have to address. Maybe it has to do with, like, the future or an issue or whatever. And sometimes that's what God puts on my heart to talk about. Uh, sometimes, like the last two weeks, I prepare the message, and my thought while I'm preparing is, I have no idea why this is what God wants me to talk about. That's what happened the last two weeks. I was like, I don't know what, where this is coming from, God. I don't know why you want me to talk about this, but I'm just going to do it. Um, and so that was the last two weeks, and it was a, it was a huge blessing. Um, I loved the experience, um, just studying and preparing, but, you know, really seeing God move and, and, and interact with people through the last two weeks of sermons. And every now and again, you have a, I have a message like what I'm going to preach today. It's a, a message that God puts on my heart that I know is for somebody. And I don't know who they are. And I don't know if it's one person or five people or ten people. I don't know what they're going through. But for some reason, God puts this message on my heart and says, someone needs to hear this. And they may be in the church, they may be at home in Portland, they may be in Arizona or Alaska, I, I don't know. But God puts this message on my heart and he says, someone needs to hear this. So what that means, and all this is for a disclaimer basically. What this means is that today's message may not mean anything to you. You may not be that person. And you may hear today's message and say, this is so not relevant for my life. Like I don't really get anything out of that. And you know, if that's you... If you're in that place, like, next week will probably be better. Next week will probably be different. Uh, and that, that this message is not for you. Um, at the same time, even though this message, I believe, is for some specific person or people, this really is a message for everyone. Because you may not need this talk now, but you will at some point in your life. I guarantee it. At some point in your life, you will need to remember this. And chances are, you won't. Because sometimes we forget what we talk about in church. 
And so that's why we have the internet and websites and podcasts and YouTube channels, all right? So if uh, years down the road, you're like, oh, this is when I need to get that. What did Chris talk about that one time where he like gave that weird disclaimer? Oh, uh, you know, I just go to the website and I'll, I'll figure it out. I'll, I'll find out. That, that's the time I want you to remember this. But um, whoever you are, whoever God is wanting me to, or whoever God wants to speak to today, you know, I, I'm, I'm so glad that you're here and that you've joined us for church. So let's pray. Gracious God, I'm going to trust in you, Lord. And I'm going to put myself out there and I'm going to share this message because I believe this is what you want. And I believe that you are going to do something through it for someone, to someone, or a group of people. And Father, I just entrust it into your hands. And I truly, truly invite the Holy Spirit to, to do your thing here in this place. In your name we pray. Um, can you believe that it's like this weekend marks one year since we stopped having in-person services? It was March 14 was the Sabbath that we stopped having in-person service. That was our first video sermon. I remember it because March 14th was supposed to be our church dedication for our brand new building. And the conference was going to come and all these people were going to come and it was going to be this big celebration. It was going to be fantastic. We like designed mugs and we designed all this stuff to give out and we're like, shut it down. We can't. Can you believe it's been an entire year? It was March 14. And throughout this last year, I don't, need to, I don't need to rehash how crazy 2020 has been. You all were there and you all know what it was like. And this is the reality that I've become convinced of at this moment. At this moment and it's that people are in pain. That people are hurting like really bad. People are hurting. Maybe you're not hurting, but people out there are hurting. And there's so many reasons to be hurting these days. You know, there's people who are extremely isolated and lonely. And like that loneliness is like crippling. And because they haven't been able to connect with people and be with people, like they are hurting really bad. And there are people hurting who have smiles on their faces and they like look happy and they look like they're okay, but like they're actually really, really in pain. There are a ton of people like this. There's people who are angry. There's people who are outraged. There are people who are lost. And there are people who are struggling because they've lost people. Uh, whether because of, of COVID-19, because of some sickness, uh, because of just a, a lack of a relationship, like friendships. There are people who feel betrayed. People who who feel like they're excluded and ignored and neglected by people who they thought was supposed to care about them, like the church and their church friends, and then, and they're hurt. There are a lot of people like that. There are a lot of people who are confused and they don't know what the future holds. There are people who are afraid for what's going to happen in this world and in our country. And there are people who are under extreme financial stress and strain. And there are families who have been fighting. There are moms and daughters and sons and dads who have been fighting because it's just so tense at home because of homeschool and all this stuff. And there are people who are like at their wits end. Pe people are hurting. And whether you want to agree with me or not, it doesn't matter. That's the truth. Just because you're not hurting doesn't mean the whole world isn't. The whole world is. A lot of people are hurting for a lot of different reasons. There are people who are in dark places and who have a sense of hopelessness. 
couple weeks ago on Facebook, uh, one of our church members, Grace, uh, she posted a story of a young teenager in Lake Oswego where I used to live at the high school, Lake Ridge High School, which was right next to my house, of a 15-year-old football player who, who took his own life. And when they talked about him, everyone said, man, he was like so full of life. Everyone loved him. He was a friend to everyone on the football team. He definitely had a college football career in his future. He was like 6'3", 270 pounds. Like he had what it take. He took. And they believed he could have gone to play college football. And in the article, it said that COVID kills in more ways than one. And in this article, this person, the, the, the writer was just talking about how, like, you need to reach out to the teenagers around you. Like, just tell them that they're loved. Tell them that they, they matter because people are hurting. And for some reason, as I prepared this message, this is where God wanted me to go, to speak into the hurt and to speak into the pain. So this is what I want to share with you guys. And, and it's going to seem obvious or maybe it's not, but this is the real key point of this message. This message title is, It's Okay. And this is the whole key point. If you, if you want to focus on anything, this is it right here. I'm going to put it on screen. It's okay if you're not okay. It's okay if you're not okay. All right, moms, it's okay if you're not okay. If you're like dying at home. And you're struggling at home every single day so hard, it's okay. Dads, it's okay if you're not okay. If you don't know what to do and you see your, your wife struggling maybe with the kids doing homeschool and you don't know how to help and all you can do is work and just try to do your best, or it's okay if you're not okay. Our high school students, our junior high students, if this year has just been horrible and you're so sad if you're a senior that you don't get to have graduation and trips and you're so bummed and you're depressed and, and you miss your friends and you miss doing normal stuff, it's okay. It's okay if you're not okay. And to our children, if you are having a hard time, I don't know why you'd have a hard time, so I don't know what to say there, but it's okay if you're not okay. If you sense tension at home, I don't know. If you're, if, if, if you're not okay, it's, it's okay. If you're single, if you're married, if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, if you have tons of faith, if you have no faith and you're just questioning and you're just here or just watching because it's your, like your last grasp at hope, it's okay if you're not okay. If you're a church leader, it's okay if you're not okay. And I know, like, that sounds obvious. Like, oh, yeah, duh, Chris. Like, big news. It's okay if you're not okay. But, but I, I don't know if you sense this, that, that sometimes the church, in the church, this is not as obvious as we think. That, that sometimes we don't feel like it's okay if we're, okay, if we're not okay at church. And so sometimes we come to church and we're not okay, but we think, I got to bring my best self to church. I got to bring my best self to church. So you slap on that smile. You slap on the, the nice clothes and you come to church and you're not okay, but you say, I got to bring my best self, even if it's my fake self. I got to bring that to church. And you know, like, I get it. I, I get why we do that. 
I just don't get how we got there. Like, I just don't get how the church developed a culture where that has to happen. But I get it. Like, that's the reality. So maybe it's not obvious that it's okay if you're okay, if you're not okay. And, and sometimes I feel like we have taught that faith or having faith means that you always have to be okay. Have you guys ever heard that message or sensed that message? Like, if you have faith, if you just believe, you wouldn't be like that. You wouldn't be sad. You wouldn't be depressed. You wouldn't be lonely because Jesus is your best friend, which is like, what are you talking about? But sometimes I feel like the, the version of faith that we teach and we preach, because we like to be positive and upbeat and full of life and optimistic and have faith and trust in God and all that. But sometimes that turns into this message that you can't be not okay. We feel like because faith, we have faith, we can't feel those things. And we can't have hurt. And we can't have pain. And we can't have suffering. And we can't be confused and lost. And we can't be depressed. And we can't have anxiety because we have faith. But that's not true. I mean, if you just think about the Bible, right? Like, if you look at the scriptures, there are so many people who were extremely pained and who had extreme hurt in their lives. And you see it all throughout the Bible. Like, like just one example, King David. King David was so broken. He had so much pain in his life. And you see it through the Psalms. We're going to talk about that later at the end of the message. We're going to look at one of his Psalms to see his heart. But he was like a broken man. Like he went through some stuff. You know, his life was horrible actually. Like there were a lot of great things, but there were a lot of bad things that you never would want to happen to you in your life. Like you would never want to be on the run multiple times in your life. And like, you know, we know that Saul tried to kill him and all that stuff and, and, and all that. But did you guys know later that his own son tried to murder him? And so he had to run away from his own son because his son wanted to be king and he had to run away. Like that's, that's real stuff, man. That's painful. And David had pain. Jeremiah, one of the prophets, one of the major prophets, his nickname among theologians is the weeping prophet. The weeping prophet. And he writes a book. The entire book is called Lamentations. And the entire book is about how sad and how hurt and how difficult his struggles are. And how his heart breaks for his country and his nation and for his own life and his people. Like the whole book. It's like the book that no one ever wants to read. Like no one ever starts, hey, I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to start with Lamentations. Right? And case in point, like when's the last time I quoted Lamentations? Like I don't know when the last time I ever put Lamentations in a sermon. But today I'm going to. Because like I want you to get a taste of what Lamentations is like. It's like many, many chapters of this. Okay? Lamentations chapter 1 verse 16. This is why I weep. And my eyes overflow with tears. No one is near to comfort me. No one to restore my spirit. My children are destitute because the enemy has prevailed. Verse after verse, chapter after chapter of this kind of stuff. This is Jeremiah's life. He's hurt. He's the weeping, the weeping prophet. And so, like, I just need you guys to understand, church people, Christian people, you grew up in the church, you love Jesus, you read the Bible. It's okay if you're not okay. And it's okay to come to church and not be okay. It's okay that you can come to church and not have it all together and not have a plan and just be really struggling and having a really hard time in life. That is 
okay. Whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, it's okay. And this is so, so important for you to understand. Okay, and, and if you, like, totally understand and you're like, yeah, I totally get that. Like, I'm fine with being myself and I don't put up a front. That's awesome. But if you do, if you do feel the need to kind of put your best selves out there all the time and, like, you feel like you can't really come to church if you don't got it all together, I really need you to hear and understand what this means. Because when you believe the lie that it's not okay to be not okay, when you think that and, and, and when your faith is shaped by that, here's what tends to happen. And this is not always the case, but from personal experience, from personal stories and people I know, what often happens is this. You're going through something. You have pain. Maybe your family, your, your kids, um, your business, whatever. Something's happening. But it's not okay to be okay, to not be okay. So you come to church and you pretend. You pretend like everything's fine. And you hide. You say, no, no, I'm fine. I'm okay. Yeah, 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 it's tough, but, you know. God is good. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. And you have all the best intentions in the world, right? Like you're not trying to be fake. Your intention is like you don't want to bum people out, right? Like nobody wants to hang out with that guy who's always just like so sad and always talking about what's wrong with his life. Like you don't, you don't want that, right? So you have best intentions to come up. You want to have faith. You want to have trust. So you, you, you pretend. You hide. And just put on a brave faith. Just like, you know, keep on trucking. And maybe you said to yourself like, all right, dude, other people deal with this. Just suck it up. And get through this, it's going to pass, and you're going to be okay eventually. So just like, you're okay, you're okay, you're okay. The problem is if you do this long enough, and things don't get better, and you just keep doing it, and doing it, and doing it, what can happen is that that, that desire to, to put up a good front and be okay, even though you're not, it starts to turn sour. And it, it goes from just trying to have faith and trying to be positive to start, it starts becoming something that's bitter in you. And you begin to start resenting the fact that you have to do this. And you start to blame people and the church and God because you think, how come I can't be myself? Like I've been hiding for so long and, 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 and I just feel like I'm just suffocating. So I got to keep hiding. Like why do I have to do this? Why do I have to keep faking? Why do I have to keep... Pretending you get angry. This, this can happen to you in, in your life. And then that turns to, towards God. And you begin to feel like, well, the church made me feel this way. God must feel this way as well. And God's not really okay with me. And he just wants me to keep hiding. And, and sometimes you guys, you guys know this. Like whenever you've had to fake it till you make it, you know, if you do that long enough, every time you fake it, it gets harder and harder and harder. Every fake smile becomes more and more difficult to put on. And every time you feel like you have to pretend to be someone you're not, it feels like a dagger in your heart if you do this long enough. The reason I know this is because this is what pastors feel. Can I be honest with you guys? Sometimes, not all the time, sometimes this is what pastors feel. Sometimes pastors are struggling and don't feel like they can show that to their church. Sometimes pastors feel like they got to suck it up and just get through because you have faith. You trust God. So you have to be okay. 
You know, it's been a long time since I've been in that place. And, and I'm not saying that I'm in that place right now. That's not what I'm saying. I don't want everyone to be, like, worried about me. That's not what's happening right now. I just feel like this is a message that someone, God, wants to hear. And I don't know who they are. But I've been at places, I've been in a place like that where you feel defeated and you just feel like you just got to suck it up and you just got to pretend. And it's a hard, hard place to be. And the reason why it's so dangerous and the reason I'm talking about it in church is because if you fester in this place long enough, it can affect your faith. It can lead you to walk away from the faith. And it all started because you didn't believe that it's okay to not be okay. So, like I said, having faith does not mean you can't have hurt. Let's put that on the screen. Having faith does not mean you can't have hurt. Okay, like, please, please hear that. Having faith does not mean that you can't have hurt. Having faith means that your hurt does not define or control you. Faith does not protect you from feeling the pain, but faith will protect you from allowing that pain to control and define you. And that's the difference. Having faith doesn't mean, hey, happy Sabbath, I'm great, everything's wonderful. That's not what faith does. Faith makes it so that something else other than the negativity, the pain, the hurt, the suffering, the fear, the isolation, the depression, something else, something better, something good will continue to define and guide your life. That's what faith does. So it's okay if you're not okay. And, and this is what's so, what I love about the Bible, and this is a part of theology in the Bible that we don't actually talk about a lot. The Bible teaches us how to cope with life. Do you guys know that? Like we all, you know, that's a skill that we all need to learn at some point in, in, in this world, right? How to cope with life. How to cope with stuff that happens to you. How to cope with hard times and difficult times. And the thing is, like, we as Christians, we don't think about that because we're just like, oh, I just got to have faith. But the Bible teaches us how to cope. The Bible teaches us and shows us how to hurt and suffer well. And this is an amazing skill. This is something we all have to learn, to learn to hurt and suffer well. You know, I was thinking about, um, I was just thinking about the story of Joseph, right? Like if there was anyone in the Bible who had hurt and had issues and major hang-ups and major relationship issues, it was Joseph, you know. If you guys don't know the story of Joseph, let me, let me quickly uh, t tell you the story. And I'm going to do it really fast because his story spans 13 chapters in the, in the book of Genesis. So it's a really long story. But Joseph is this young man who his brothers like really hate him. And he has, you know, 11 brothers. Ten of them hate him. And one day his brothers grab him and they want to get rid of him. And they're thinking about killing him. But then one guy's like, why would we kill him? Let's make some money. So let's throw him in this pit and sell him off to some slave traders. And so that's what they do. Like this happened, okay? This guy Joseph, this actually happened to him. His brother sold him as a slave, right? So if you have problems with your siblings, like be happy. They're not going to ever do that, okay? But Joseph's brothers sell him to slavery. He goes to a far off land where he knows nobody and he's a slave in Egypt. But like he's actually really good at his job and he does a really, really good Good job there. And so he raises, rises up in the ranks of the slaves. And his master, whose name is Potiphar, is like, dude, this guy Joseph, man, like I like him. He's dependable. Like he gets stuff done. I can trust him with things. Like I like this guy. So I'm going to make him in charge. And like he's going to be my guy. 
And so he becomes like this very special dude in the home of Potiphar. And, you know, things are better. But at the same time, he's still a slave. He still has no freedom. And he still is far away from his home. And his brothers still betrayed him, right? But at least his job is going okay. And then something crazy happens where, where Potiphar's wife is like, hmm, Joseph, like, I like the way he looks. I like the way he is, right? And so she, like, you know, kind of wants to be with him. And Joseph's like, no, no, we can't do this. And he gets accused of raping her. And then he's thrown into prison. All right, like, that's insane, right? So he's thrown into prison. And then he's, he, so he was, like, a slave. And then he was, like, a really good slave and, and did really well. And then he was thrown into prison. And in prison, he, like, just kind of, like, stays there for a while. And then he meets these two other prisoners. And he starts interpreting dreams. And then later, 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 down, fast forward, fast forward, he interprets a dream for Pharaoh, the leader of the Egyptian nation. And the Pharaoh's like, dude, that's really good. I think I need your help. And he promotes him from out of prison to becoming the second in command, the second in charge of all of Egypt. Okay, so like this is a crazy, crazy story. Right? All of the ups and downs, all the pain, it all began with his brothers. And then at the very end of the story, He meets his brothers again because there's this mad famine all over. Nobody has food. And then his brothers have to come and ask him for food because Egypt has a ton of food. And he meets his brothers. And in the story from when Joseph begins to meet his brothers to the end, he has seven moments of weeping. Seven moments where he has to walk away and cry because it's so hard to see his brothers. He meets his brothers and like, I don't know if you guys ever, if you've read the story, ever wondered like, why does Joseph like do all these weird things? Like he does a bunch of weird things to his brothers. Like you look at the way he acts and you're like, like what's going on with you? Like do you hate them or do you love them? Like do you, do, do you like, do you, are you super bitter and angry at them or do you miss them? I don't understand. So like he, he like tricks them, he calls them spies, but then he like gives them food and gives them food to eat. And then he, he, like, wants to put one of them in prison, but then he wants to see his other brother, so he sends the others off. And then he gives them money, and he gives them their money back that they use to pay for the food. And he's like, what are you doing, Joseph? And as I think about that story, I think what we see in Joseph's life is he's just so confused. Like, he doesn't know what to feel. Because he has such deep hurt and such deep wounds but at the same time, he misses them and he's so happy to see his brothers are alive and his youngest brother Benjamin is alive. And so he's just like torn. And that's why he keeps like leaving the room and crying. And, and the stories even say in, in the Bible that he cried so loudly that the Egyptians in the palace heard him. He's hurt, man. He's broken. He's, he's messed up. And then... Finally, at the end, he, he can't take it anymore. And then he says, I'm Joseph. And I'm so happy to see you. And he, he hugs them. And then he cries. And then he weeps over them. And it's like this beautiful, tender moment where he finally is, like, healed. And he finally resolves his pain. Because, like, he had every right, right? Like, he, if anyone in Scripture could have been controlled and defined by anger and hurt, it was Joseph, but he wasn't. Remember, faith doesn't mean you can't feel hurt. Faith means you're not controlled or defined by hurt. 
So Joseph, we see this in Joseph because he was not. If he was defined and controlled by his hurt and his pain and his bitterness, he would have killed his brothers. And he had every right to do that. No one could have stopped him. No one would have questioned him. He could have just done it in a moment, in an instant. He could have just dealt with them and got rid of them. If his anger and his hurt and his pain defined and controlled him. But that's not what controlled him. It was his faith. And that's why he can say kind of the most amazing verses in, in this story where he says, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good and the saving of many lives. That's faith. That's incredible. He could have been controlled by anger, but he was not. He could have been defined by his suffering and his pain, but he would not let it because of his faith. And like, when I was thinking about this story this past week, I kind of had a mind-blowing like moment. And I don't know if it's going to blow your mind, but this was a mind-blowing moment for me. Like, what if Joseph did let his anger and his hurt get the better of him? What if he allowed it in? What if it defined him and he just killed his brothers? Did you ever think about that? These 12 brothers were the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel from which the entire nation of Israel would come. And he could have wiped out the entire nation in a moment because of his pain. And so there could be none of that, no nation of Israel. So no Moses, no Elijah, no David, no Daniel. Daniel, what would your name be if there was no Daniel? Like you'd be named something else and that'd be so weird, right? No Moses, no David, no Daniel, no Jesus. That's insane to think about. Now, I don't know, maybe God could have done something and done something differently and still brought Jesus around. But just kind of within the story we have in the scriptures, like it was a pivotal moment for Joseph. And he didn't even know this, but by allowing his faith to, to define and control him rather than his anger, hurt and fear and, and bitterness and resentment. We have the rest of scriptures and we have the gospels. That's insane. And like I know your hurt and your pain and whatever you're suffering with, whoever you are, is probably not as dramatic, right? Like it's probably not that if you make some bad mistakes, the savior of the world is not going to exist. That's probably not the situation that you're in. But I mean, if you think about it in a localized, very personal way, the effects of, of your pain and your hurt and allowing it to control and define you can be very dramatic. And it can be very costly. And, and you know people who do this. And maybe you do this and you recognize it in yourself. And no one's really talked, to you, talked about it and called you out on it. But, but when you have that, you know, you, it leads to destructive behaviors. It, it, it destroys relationships. You push people away. It, it can lead to the destruction of, of relationships and friendships. It can be the destruction of your future. It can be destruction of your soul. And even your own life. So that's why I want you to know it's okay if you're not okay. And having faith does not mean that you won't feel hurt or feel worry or feel anxiety. It simply means that you will not allow it to define or control you. That's what faith is. And your heavenly father, he knows all about it. He knows all about your pain. And you know what he says to you? The apostle Peter writes, inspired by God, he says, cast 
your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Peter assumes you will have anxiety. He assumes you will have dysfunction. He assumes you will feel lonely. He assumes you will feel pain. He, will, he assumes you feel depressed. He assumes that. And God inspires him to teach us that within that place, he wants us to cast those cares upon him. And so if you want to, if you want to move forward, there needs to be a moment where you acknowledge and embrace and even lean into whatever it is that's eating you up inside. And when you do that, when you lean into that, do you know what you'll find? In that place of pain and hurt and suffering that you've been avoiding and you don't want to go and you don't want to talk about, if you go there, what you will find is your heavenly father waiting for you. You will find him in the pain. And you will find him in the suffering. You'll find him there. That's where God wants to meet you. And so the Bible teaches us how to deal with pain and how to suffer well. And one of the best things we can do if you're in this place is something the ancient Bible writers and inspired prophets did all throughout the Bible. And this is what I want to close with and talk about this last thing. If you're in this place, whoever you are, wherever you are, this is what I want you to do. And they call it in the Bible the prayer of lament. The prayer of lament. A lament is, is an expression of sorrow and grief and mourning and pain over what's happening. Right? So that's what a lament is. And that's why, like, lamentations is just, like, so negative and so dark and it's just so hard. Right? Because you're expressing from, like, your gut the pain and the, the dissatisfaction with what's going on. And so in the Bible we see these, these prayers of lament. In the book of Psalms, um, it's basically the prayer, Bible, a prayer book of the Bible and it has all these prayers and there's 150 of them. Do you guys know, any guesses how many are laments in the Psalms? Over two-thirds of the Psalms are laments. Over two-thirds of the Psalms are laments. Right, and we think about Psalms, we're like, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's so beautiful and pretty and, and wonderful, but there's so much of the Psalms that is about people expressing their pain and hurt and struggles. Why? Why? It's because the Bible knows, or God knows, that life is really hard. Life is really hard. Like, no matter who you are, life is hard. You know, whether you're a king like David or you're a beggar on the street, life was hard. Whether you, you had money or you had nothing, life was hard. Whether you were lived, lived hundreds of years ago or you live now, life is hard. And it's hard in different ways, but life is hard. Whether you're married or single, life is hard. Whether you're a white-collar or blue-collar worker, life is hard. Whether you're a teenager, whether you're a child, whether you're uh, an elderly person, life, life is hard. And God understands that. He sees that and knows that. And we see that in scripture that life is hard. So let's stop pretending that it isn't, guys. Life is hard and, and, and people are hurting. And so in, in, in one, of these, one of these prayers, David writes this. And I want to read it to you guys in Psalm 13. Let's like look at 
kind of what David shows in his heart. And, and then we're going to close after this. Psalm 13, I'm just six verses. I'm going to read it to you guys. This is David's, one of David's many prayers of lament. He says, how long, Lord? This is a really key phrase that we're going to get into. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will be my enemy triumph over me? How Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes like this desperate cry or I will sleep in death. Like help me or I'm going to die and my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But... I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Like, do you, do you feel him, man? Like, do you feel his pain? Do you feel his, like, frustration? He's like, God, like, you're supposed to be fixing things and doing good things, but it's not. How long do I have to live like this? Like, the part that got me is when he says, when, when sorrow like, is in my heart every day, day after day, how long is this going to last, God? Man, I can't handle it anymore. This prayer honors God. Like this prayer is not something that offends God. God doesn't hear this prayer and is like, how dare you? No, when God hears this honest cry, God leans in like a heavenly father would. He loves this stuff. This is where he wants to meet us. You know, lament is not complaining. Lament is not just like, oh, this is what's wrong with my life, and this is what's wrong with my life, and this is what they did to me. It's not just simply a prayer where you complain to God. It is a, a, a time of wrestling between what you are struggling with and what you know to be true about God. Where you're like, like this is so hard, but you're Good, God, so let me deal with this and struggle with this. Like, I, I, I'm supposed to trust in you with this situation, but I'm so worried about it. But you're good, and you've told me to trust in you, and you've shown me in the past that, I can, that you're faithful and I can trust. So let me just, like, wrestle with that. That's what lament is. It's not complaining. It's wrestling with God in a real place of brutal honesty. And that phrase, how long, is such a key phrase in all the laments. Like you see it so many, so many times. Because, and I think when you think about that question, it's like a very powerful question because in that question is, a, is an expression of faith and doubt. You see hope and despair in that question. Because you're asking how long, because this stuff is so bad and this stuff is so hard and I hate it and I want to get out of it and it, I'm having such a hard time. The reality of my pain is like right in front of my face. So I feel despair and I feel fear and I feel hurt and I feel anger and I'm struggling and I'm losing hope. But at the same time, the only reason you're asking the question is because you have faith. If you didn't have faith in God, you wouldn't even ask the question, how long? It's because you have faith who, in who God is, because you trust him, because you've given your life to him and you have that, that's why you even ask this question. And so that question of how long is this mix of faith and doubt, fear and, and courage and, and hope and despair all rolled into one. And that is real life, isn't it? And this is where God wants to meet you, whoever you are or wherever you are. 
John Mark Comer says this, I love this, prayer is not a place to be good, it is a place to be honest. We think prayer is boring. A lot of people think prayer is boring, but it's because what we do a lot of times is not prayer. It's pretending. But in those moments when you're honest with God, those are not boring moments. Those are life-changing moments. Those are real moments with your Heavenly Father. And so I just, I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you if you're in that place. Bring this to the Lord. Bring your pain, bring your suffering, bring your hurt, your loneliness, your depression, and bring it to your Heavenly Father. This is where He wants to meet you. Because if He can meet you there, He wants to do something with that. Like He wants to take that pain and hurt and suffering and He wants to transform it and He wants to shape it and, and do something different with it so that your life can be a life of victory and joy and wonder, and he wants to use it to, 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 to do things in your life, and he wants to give you victory, he wants to take it away, but he can't do that if you're not willing to come and meet him in that place. So that's why we pray this prayer of lament. We pray this prayer of lament when things are still bad. You pray a prayer of praise and thanks when things get better, but when it's still bad, come to God with your lamentation. Come to God with your lament. And meet him in that place of pain. Because he knows that it's okay if you're not okay. And he wants you with all your baggage and all your hang-ups and all your dysfunction. He wants you with all of that. And he loves you and he died for that version of you. He did not die for the filtered, edited version of you. He did it for the broken, messed up, pained, struggling, bitter, resentful, angry, jealous version of you. That is who he died for. So come, meet him in the pain. Take time this week to take 30 minutes to pray this honest prayer of lament and see what God can do when you're willing to be honest with him and to meet him in that place. Whoever you are, wherever you are, whoever this message is for, God loves you and he wants to rescue you. So just come. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for this message, God. Lord, I ask that you would do what you intend to do. And Father, that nothing would get in your way. That not me, not anybody else, not distractions, not pride, that nothing would get in your way, Lord. Father, I thank you for, for this word. And I trust in you and I put it in your hands. Thank you for each person here in this place. In your name we pray.